I'm Scott Aniel, and you're listening to Remembering Zion, Setting Minds on Things That Are Above. Is beauty in the eye of the beholder? That's the question that I address in Chapter 5 of my book, Sound Worship, A Guide to Making Musical Choices in a Noisy World. In the last episode, I read the first half of the chapter in which we saw in Scripture that beauty is sourced in God, who is the source of all truth, goodness, and beauty. But beauty has been marred by sin. In this episode, I'll finish chapter 5, in which I discuss how we as redeemed Christians should judge whether things are beautiful or not based on the character and qualities of God himself, who is supreme beauty. You can purchase Sound Worship on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. I've also developed a teacher's edition that incorporates material from Worship in Song, as well as discussion questions and other aids to help a teacher guide students through the material in Sound Worship. The Redemption of Beauty Since sin marred beauty and creation, the atoning work of Christ on the cross and subsequent regeneration of individuals by the Holy Spirit is the way in which man's capacity to correctly take pleasure in God and other things worthy of such delight is redeemed. Because of sin, every man is born without the capacity to delight in God. Yet because men are God's creation, they are born with an innate need to delight in something. This causes them to spend their lives finding ultimate satisfaction in things that are not God and things that are inherently ugly. The gospel of Jesus Christ provides the supernatural means by which people are enabled to see the beauty of God in the person of Christ. We find this explained in 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Veiled Beauty Unbelievers cannot apprehend the beauty of the gospel and of Christ. This is what the text means in verse 4 when it says that they do not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They do not perceive its wonders and its value and its beauty, and therefore they do not submit to the gospel because they do not recognize its value. We submit to things only when we appreciate their value, not when we simply know about them or believe in them with our minds. We follow after what we delight in, not just what we know. Here's an example. My wife once spent a considerable amount of time searching for a rug for our living room. She enjoyed doing it. She knew in her mind that our living room needed a rug, but that was not what compelled her to search intently to find just the right rug. I knew in my mind that our living room needed a rug, but that knowledge certainly did not compel me to spend hours looking for one. In essence, Becky finds pleasure in the beauty of rugs. I see only their practical worth. 
Since Becky recognized the beauty and value of a rug, she was willing to spend time committed to finding one. Someone may understand the facts of the gospel, but unless he recognizes the beauty and value of the gospel, he will not submit to it. Revealed Beauty Yet there is hope. Just like God created beauty at the beginning, so he has the power to illumine hearts so that they apprehend the beauty of the gospel. And when he does this, when God illuminates the heart, then the beauty of the gospel of the glory of Christ is revealed. It's as if men are groping around in a pitch-black cave, desperately searching for the treasure that they know to be there but cannot find. And then suddenly a spotlight is shown directly in front of them to reveal a magnificent diamond that was there the whole time. All men are born in blackness. They are blinded as to the beauty of the gospel of Christ. They are empty. They are searching. In their heart of hearts, they know that there must be something that will satisfy their longings, something that will fill the void in their souls. But they are unwilling and unable to accept that it is God himself who will satisfy that longing, God himself who will fill that void. All they must do is submit to God as king, and they will find that treasure. But they hate God, and they reject their knowledge of him. They are unwilling to submit to the gospel because they do not recognize the beauty of the glory of Jesus Christ. But then, just as God created light at the beginning of time, with just his voice he says, Let there be light, and light shines on a dark heart. And when that happens, that perishing person looks up and sees the truths of the gospel literally in a new light. No more does he see mere facts about a man who once lived and died. No longer does he see God as ugly. No longer does he see the demands of the gospel as unreasonable. That light that has been shined upon his heart reveals the magnificent beauty of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate expression of the beauty of the gospel because he is the very image of God. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, or beauty, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Christ is the radiance of the glory, or beauty, of God, and the exact imprint of his nature. Regeneration restores in an individual the ability to recognize what is truly beautiful, first in the person of Jesus Christ, and then in other things. This does not mean that unbelievers cannot recognize beauty or even create beauty. God's common grace enables even the unregenerate to do so. But what this means is that a believer has no excuse when it comes to making value judgments about beauty. The Judgment of Beauty Once a person becomes a Christian, once his capacity to recognize beauty has been restored, that person has an obligation to correctly judge things beautiful or ugly. God commands believers to test everything and hold fast to that which is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 The word translated good here signifies the intrinsic excellencies of something, and its first definition in Greek dictionaries is 
beautiful. It is contrasted with good from verse 15 of the same passage, a word that identifies something that is beneficial. In other words, here Christians are specifically commanded to evaluate everything in order to determine whether something has intrinsic worth. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly Perhaps the passage that most clearly articulates such a command is Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Here we find a list of absolute standards by which we must judge all things. The phrase rendered, think about, literally means, take into account. Everything we encounter must be judged by the qualities in this list. Each of these terms is worth considering. True means truthful, honest, real, genuine. Honorable means noble, of good character, worthy. Just means conforming to the standard, righteous. Pure means holy, chaste, innocent. Lovely literally means towards affection or pleasing. Commendable means worthy of praise or admirable. Excellence refers to moral excellence. Worthy of praise means commendation, approval. These qualities could be grouped into the three categories of truth, goodness, and beauty. Something is true when it agrees with reality. Something is good when it meets real needs. And something is beautiful when it is worthy of pleasure. In all three of these categories, there is a subjective realm, what we think, and an objective realm, what really is. With truth, we may subjectively think something is true that is objectively not true. For example, I may truly believe that grass is red, but that doesn't make it so. So in the case of truth, we must always change what we think is true to match what God says is true in his word. John 17.17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. With my belief about the color of grass, I have to readjust my beliefs to match reality. With goodness, we may subjectively think that something is good for us when it is objectively not good. For example, I may think that drinking cyanide daily is good for me, but that doesn't make it so. Here, too, we must always change what we think is good to match what God says is good. With my views of cyanide, either I would need to adjust my thinking or reality would eventually sink in. The same is true with beauty. We may subjectively think something is beautiful, we may take pleasure in something, but what we think may not match with what is objectively beautiful. For example, I may take pleasure in a particular work of art or song or style of music and think that it is beautiful, but that does not make it beautiful. According to this passage, we are to take into account things that are worthy of praise, things that are admirable. This implies absolute standards. Here again, we must change our tastes to match what God says is beautiful. 
Our responsibility as Christians is to change what we take pleasure in to those things that are actually worthy of our pleasure, those things that are actually beautiful. Change your taste. During the years I was in college and the one year before I was married, I ate a lot of junk food. I grew to love junk food. So, when I eventually married and my wife began to prepare healthy, well-balanced meals for me, I'll admit that I really didn't have a taste for it at first. But over time, after abstaining from junk and dieting on healthy cuisine, I soon developed a taste for that which was actually good. Similarly, Christians can change their tastes to match what is actually worthy of their delight. There are three truths about the Christian life that if you come to understand will really help you in this realm of beauty. One, we like what we know. Some people think, well, I happen to like that and there's nothing I can do about it. That is simply not true. We develop a taste for things we regularly feed ourselves. We like what we're accustomed to. Two, We can change what we like by changing what we know. Unbelievers are constrained to do what they like, but not believers. Christians have freedom in Christ to give up things even if they really like them. And Christians have freedom to bring things into their lives that they might not really like at first. 3. As Christians, we have an obligation to like what is worthy of liking. We have the responsibility to judge all things and evaluate whether something is worthy of our delight based upon absolute standards about the nature and character of God. If we determine something to be unworthy, we have an obligation to call it what it is and rid ourselves of it. And if we determine something to be truly worthy, then our delight in that thing magnifies our delight in him who is ultimately beautiful. You've been listening to the second half of Chapter 5 from Sound Worship, a guide to making musical choices in a noisy world. You can purchase this book on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold.